Well, uh, a help desk or a technical support line. Uh, I don't know whether uh, you've used those very often, but they're great, aren't they? Uh, they're great when you're trying to get your new computer or your phone or your TV working. They're great when you're trying to organise that insurance policy or to pay, pay that particular bill or complete your tax return, perhaps. Uh, just phone an expert and they can clearly guide you through the process. Uh, someone who knows all about the product, they can explain why certain things are the way they are and how you can get the most out of this thing that you've bought. Some people are shaking their heads. doesn't work quite so well. Well, that's the theory, isn't it? <laughs> uh, that's great for technology, but wouldn't it be great if there was a help desk for life? Uh, if you could just phone up the manufacturer when life isn't working. Uh, when you faced a difficulty or a painful trial or a roadblock or a problem. Now, perhaps that's you at the moment. Perhaps it's a, a, a difficult decision to make about the year ahead. Uh, or maybe a painful relationship or a chronic illness or a financial difficulty. Now, of course, in a sense, as Christians, we do have a help desk. God's given us his word, the Bible, so that we can be thoroughly equipped. Uh, and through prayer, we can bring him all our requests and questions and concerns, and he promises to answer us. But often, especially when life is difficult, we just want to know why. If God loves us, why do we have to suffer? If he hears our prayers, why doesn't he answer them? What is God doing? And, and how can we find a way through what we're experiencing? Now, if that's you, if they're the sorts of questions you're asking, then listen up. These verses at the start of 2 Corinthians, uh, God gives us an insight into his purposes behind the sufferings and troubles of life. Now, suffering and trouble, that certainly described Paul's life as he sits down to write the letter that is now called 2 Corinthians. Uh, he'd started... The church in Corinth, you can read about it in Acts chapter 18. Uh, he travelled there from Athens. Uh, he preached the gospel. People became Christians despite strong opposition. Paul stayed there for 18 months. That was ages compared to many of the places he started churches in. But when he moved on from Corinth, others moved in. New leaders, they started spreading a different view of the Christian life. They started undermining the church's confidence in Paul's leadership. Now we'll gradually see more about the sorts of things that they were saying as we work our way through the letter. And so what Paul is doing is he's writing to restore the relationship, to correct some misunderstandings, to heal some wounds. Now if I was in Paul's situation, I'm not sure I would begin a letter like that the way he does. Critics and competitors are listening in. I'd be tempted to talk about my strengths. I'd be tempted to highlight the positives about my message. But Paul begins by talking about troubles and sufferings. Now, it's hardly the sort of sales pitch that is going to win over a doubting crowd. Now, pick it up from verse 3. Notice that Paul is praising God, uh, not for making his troubles go away, but for giving him comfort. In the troubles. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Notice firstly he's saying something about the nature of the Christian life. Following Jesus means following him right into troubles, into sufferings. Taking up your cross, says Jesus, just like he did. Being obedient to Jesus means that you will probably suffer for it. Now, I almost want to apologise for that. If you're not yet a Christian, if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, perhaps that's not what you want to hear. Perhaps you'd rather hear that if you become a Christian, then everything will begin to go right. But that's just not true. Experience says that's true. It says it's not true. Those of us who've been Christians for decades will tell you. Life is just as tough for Christians as for the rest. In fact, it's often tougher. Especially if you're serious about following Jesus. We're not protected from heartache just because we belong to Jesus. Jesus himself says that's true. John chapter 15, verses 18 to 20, he says to his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And Paul, too, is being open and frank. That is his experience. He'll go on to describe his experience as the letter unfolds. But rather than complain about all of those things that are happening to him, that that he's being persecuted, do you notice his attitude? Verse 3, he's praising God. Which seems extraordinary, doesn't it? Most of us don't praise God when life is fine. Rather than grumbling about how God is ignoring him or harming him, he's rejoicing. He rejoices, verse 4, because in the midst of his troubles, God comforts him. He sort of gets fixated on that word for comfort. Nine times in five verses, whether as a noun or a verb. The Greek word is paraklesis or parakeleo, And it's often translated as encourage or exhort in other places. It's got the idea of strengthening and supporting. A very similar word Jesus uses, uh, he calls the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14 to 16. He calls him the paraclete, uh, which is often translated as counsellor or helper. And so that's what God is doing in our troubles. As we go through them, he encourages counsels, helps, comforts. Because that's his character. He's the father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort. That's his way of dealing with people. Now Paul's not saying here that God will never remove your trouble. He's not not saying that. But he's saying that sometimes he will remove it. But what he's saying is that in our troubles, God genuinely comforts and strengthens and gives hope. Well, how does he do that? Well, he does it through Jesus. Do you see there in verse 5? 
For just as the sufferings of Christ flow into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Now how does that work? Well, it's through Jesus that our sins are forgiven. It's through Jesus that our prayers are heard. It's through Jesus that we receive God's Holy Spirit. God with us, who strengthens and guides a down payment of our eternal inheritance. It's Jesus who defeats sin and death and suffering and pain. And one day we will fully experience that victory. Now there's genuine comfort in all of those realities. They all bring comfort through Jesus. Listen to Jesus' promise in John 16.33. He says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now that's comforting, isn't it? It's both refreshingly realistic and genuinely strengthening. On the one hand, he's warning us that life will be difficult. No matter how strong your faith is, you will have trouble. But also there's the perspective that Jesus has already won the victory. He's already defeated sin and death and Satan. And one day that reality will become clear in our experience as well. Our comfort comes through Jesus. But we don't just discover in this passage what God is doing. We don't just discover how he's doing it. We actually discover why he's comforting us in troubles. Why doesn't he just remove the trouble? Well, look at verse 4 again. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You see, God is not just comforting us so we can feel comfortable. His comforting is more about equipping, preparing, training, hardening, toughening, like, like steel that's hardened in a furnace, like clay that's fired in a kiln. We're made stronger and more useful so we're better able to help others. Now, maybe you've experienced that yourself. Something awful happened to you, something that somehow you made it through, you you, you were still trusting God, you never saw anything good come out of it. The best you could say was that you survived. But then, perhaps years later, someone you know went through something similar. And you found you just had a, a different perspective that you could share with them. Not pride, not an answer. Maybe it was just knowing what not to say. Maybe it was just crying with them, understanding their experience. That's comforting others with the comfort that you've received from God. And the experience, I don't think, has to be a terrible one for God to be able to use it to help others. You can share lessons that you've learned from all sorts of situations. Uh, I want to commend to you uh, an article written by the Canadian author Tim Challies. Peter Christopher found this for us at our uh, Sunshine Club. Uh, It's titled, The Ministry of Being a Little Bit Further Along. 
And his point is that God teaches us all sorts of lessons through our lives and they're lessons that equip us and prepare us to be able to share those lessons with others. Each of us is a little bit further along life's journey than someone else. And so we can offer them a helping hand. He writes, What most people need and long for as they face trials and encounter questions is simply the dedicated attention of someone who's a little bit further along. Someone who's a few steps ahead on the path of life or the path of ministry or the path of suffering or the path of parenting. Someone who will informally mentor them from the perspective of their own successes and failures and their own comfort, their own experiences of good and bad, the godly wisdom they've accumulated along the way. And he he continues, what's so wonderful about this ministry is that we can all take it up for each of us is just a little bit further along than someone else. Now I love that. I love the title. I I think there's a a gentle humility in in it, in in the whole approach. It's not, I told you so, you better listen up, I've been through it, I've got the experience. It's Here's what I found helpful when I went through it. Can I help you walk through it as well? Wouldn't it be great if we were a church who were like that, who had this ministry of being a little further along? Well, so far Paul has mentioned his sufferings, but focused on God uh, who comforts him. But from verse 8, he he moves the focus instead to himself. He he moves to his own reaction to the sufferings. And he's actually incredibly open about his reactions. Now, he could very easily have kept things general and theoretical, kept the mask up, and and not got personal. After all, feelings are embarrassing. They show weakness. People can look down on you. We've, we've all been in that situation where someone just overshares and we're thinking, too much information, I really didn't need to know that. But notice how Paul begins here, verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed. <laughs> Paul can see the value for the Corinthians knowing the depths that he was in. One of my goals in home groups is that it'll be a group of people who are genuine and transparent with one another. That we share more than just the safe prayer points. You know what they are, don't you? You know, oh, work's hard, I'm really busy. Let's be transparent with each other. My prayer is that as we learn to trust one another, we'll be able to admit some of the struggles some of the failures, some of the weaknesses. We trust that the group is not going to reject us, but will receive us the way God does, with love and support, rather than judgment. Would you be willing to, brave enough to work on that this year in your home groups, Uh, being real and vulnerable with one another? Paul is certainly modelling it for us, this vulnerability. Uh, Look at verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. 
Now, we don't know what those hardships were or where they happened, but we know how Paul reacted to them. They were so terrible, they were beyond his ability to endure. Now, Paul had a pretty high tolerance for suffering. Uh, Listen to the list of what he endured that we find in chapter 11. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea and in danger from false brothers. I've laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. This guy knew what it meant to suffer It must have been something terrible if Paul despaired of life. Whatever it was, it was so bad, he was was waiting for death. He'd given up. But God even had his purposes behind those hardships. Do you see how verse 9 continues? But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves but on God, who's God? The God who raises the dead. Oh, Miss Dead, who raises. Who raises the dead. It's easy to forget, isn't it? In the normal day-to-day events of life, when life is going smoothly, we fool ourselves into thinking that we're in control. But then you face a challenge or a decision and and your first reaction is, I can do this, I can fix this. And you look to your own resources. You you spend your money, uh, you pay an expert, you phone someone, you apply your own problem-solving skills. And and then to help things along, you sprinkle a little stress and worry because that's certainly to make the situation better. And you work on this myth of self-sufficiency. You can get this done. And God gets pushed to the side until you've tried everything else. The reality is, of course, uh, that we're not even in control when life's going smoothly. And sometimes it takes something difficult to happen for us to realise that. To recognise that God is at work in those terrible out-of-control situations. Because he's teaching us not to rely on ourselves. The reality is we control nothing. But he's the one who raises the dead. Who raised Jesus. Who will raise us. Who can do anything. And so why do we worry? Why do we worry and think he can't keep our children safe? Why do we worry that he won't guide us through that legal situation? Or safely deliver us through that difficult operation? Or lead our friend to trust Jesus. He wants us to rely, to lean on him in everything. Notice how it worked for Paul. He'd given up, but verse 10, he has delivered us from such a peril. And he will deliver us. 
On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. He learned his lesson. As you help us by your prayers. God delivered him through it. It had to be God because Paul had given up. It had to be God because Paul recognised that people were praying. Now that's the key, isn't it? It's a good measure of whether you're actually trusting God or, or just trusting yourself. It's prayer. Those areas where you're actually relying on God are the same areas that you're praying about. If you're not praying about something, you're not trusting God for it. You're trusting yourself. Think about those things that you are praying for and the things that you're not praying for. Be careful. If you're not praying about all sorts of things, then God may be ready to teach you a lesson. A lesson not to rely on yourself. And if you are praying, be careful what you pray for. If you dare to pray that you would learn to rely on God more, that might be a pretty dangerous prayer to pray, couldn't it? Especially if God answers it by bringing you a hardship so great that you have to rely on him. That's scary, isn't it? But on the other hand, he's our loving Heavenly Father. He will do it because he loves you. He will bring something, a severe mercy, to teach you not to lean on yourself. Because it's a wonderful thing to actually live relying on God in everything. It's a wonderfully freeing thing. It really takes the stress out of life if you're leaving it up to God. Perhaps you're in the middle of a lesson like that right now and you're despairing. Then as someone who is a little further along the way, the Apostle Paul would say to you, in fact God would say to you, try praising God who comforts you in all your troubles. And instead of relying on yourself, try looking to the one, to the God who raises the dead. And if you're not doing it particularly tough at the moment, then there's a message here for you as well. Be a comforter. Pass it on. If you've been through hard times and you've made it through, it's your turn to be a comforter, to be a prayer, to share the burden. As we all begin to do that, will begin to reflect, to resemble a church who, who genuinely love one another. As God is at work growing us as followers of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray, especially for any this morning who are really struggling, for those who are despairing of how they're going to cope. Uh, we pray that you would help them to look to you to rely not on themselves but on you. Uh, might they recognise in all your good, uh, goodness to us that you are comforting and strengthening and keeping and holding. Uh, Lord, those of us who are not struggling so much at the moment, please help us to comfort others as those who perhaps are a little further along who have learned some lessons. Uh, might we be a people uh, who genuinely express 
uh, our love for one another in these ways. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.